kicking off a new sermon series called Fluent, where we go through our 15 fluencies of Greenhouse. Now, these are sort of like values, but we intentionally did not call them values because values are something that you can simply ascribe to or check a box and say, yes, I believe that. But being fluent means that something, uh, means that you have a full understanding of whatever it is that you're fluent in. And you can do this without really thinking because it's just, it's in you, right? We want this to be more than a mental ascent. This needs to be a lifestyle that you live. And so these 15 fluencies are the things that we cherish more than anything else here at Greenhouse outside of the name of Jesus. And so I'm excited to be sharing with you the first one of these this week. So last week, Pastor Byron talked about a greenhouse imperative that we have, which says, until I connect with God, everything else is a distraction. And this week, we're going to continue that train of thought and are focusing on seeking God. It's our God-seeking fluency, how to become fluent in seeking Jesus. And we're going to do this by looking at some of Jesus' famous words about this, so much so that this, this passage became called the Great Commandment. So if you'll stand up one more time with me, this is just one of the ways we honor God's word here at Greenhouse. And turn to Mark 12, verses 28 through 34. If you've got a Bible, you can open it up. If not, it'll be on the screens behind me. And it says this. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked them, of all the commandments, which is is the most important? The most important one answered Jesus is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied, you are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart and with all your understanding, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus heard that he had answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. All right, let's pray. Lord, as we're even kicking off this new year, we want our focus and the sole object of our affection to be you. And Lord, I pray that we would be able to even unpack your words this morning to help move us towards that endeavor, that end goal and that pursuit. So Lord, let all eyes eyes be on you in Jesus' name. Amen. You can have a seat. All right, anybody make any New Year's resolutions? Anybody, 2023, you got some resolutions on the table? You know, resolutions are such an interesting phenomenon to me because we know that there's an above average chance that change is not going to happen. But we resolve to do it anyway because culturally we're told if we want to have change, we're supposed to do it at the beginning of the year. Right, people have such grand aspirations for their resolutions, but so many of us can't follow through with them. Why do you think that is? And I think it's not because we don't want to see change, but I think resolutions fail because we don't love what we're trying to do, right? No one says to themselves, I want to lose weight. And it's a great thing because I hate eating desserts. I'm going to love giving that up, right? I mean, and the gym memberships like explode in January, but the majority of people who make that resolution don't love getting up more early in the morning and going to the gym. They don't love the fact that they don't see instant results. So we just kind of stop doing it. Right, and this is the difference between willpower and love. See, most New Year's resolutions are birthed and poorly sustained through sheer willpower, trying to get ourselves to do something we don't really love. And when there's no love, there's no transformation. But when you really love something, you continue to do it. Why? 
because it's more than a feeling. There are internal drivers that fire on all cylinders when we love someone or something and we're excited about it, right? So I guess let's take this a step deeper. What, the deeper question is then, what does it mean to love someone or something? What are those internal drivers that really keep us moving forward? I mean, why do some people go to the gym every single day and most of us don't? Right? Why are there people who have been married for over 60 years of marriage and, and most of us don't get there? Right? Why is it that some people excel at their job and they're so good at it and someone with the same amount of skill and ability doesn't? Kind of entering into our fluency conversation right now. Why is it that some people, it's so easy for them to seek God. It's so easy for them to spend time with Jesus and for others, it's not. They're both Christian, they both come to church. So, so what's the difference? And I really think it's because when we're fluent in something, there is a love there, right? And I shared a few months ago, like my, my 10-year-old Alethea, she is conversationally fluent in Spanish because we fostered children from the Mexican-American border. They didn't speak English. And my daughter is so wildly extroverted and she loves people so much that it drove her crazy that she couldn't communicate with these kids. So she got on Duolingo, she learned Spanish. Every, uh, when she's allowed to watch cartoons and stuff, now she listens to them in Spanish. If you are Spanish, or if you speak Spanish, I should say, this little white girl who has, doesn't look like she would know a lick of Spanish will come to you and she will start talking to you in Spanish before she starts talking to you in English. Why? Because she loves people and she wants to break down every barrier possible so that her love is being translated into her becoming fluent in Spanish. Because love leads to fluency. And before I move on, I want to read something for you. It's kind of like our, our God-seeking manifesto here at Greenhouse. For each of the 15 fluencies, we have kind of a statement of purpose or what we feel and believe about that. And I want to read that to you. So it's going to be up on the screens. You can follow along. But this is an important kind of insight into, I feel like, what Greenhouse's heart is as a church. It goes like this. Ministry for God without intimacy with God is a dead work. Mission to the world without a connection with the God who loves the world is a filthy rag. Anything of eternal consequence flows out of our relationship with Father. Far too much of the ministry being attempted today is deprived of the soul morphing effect of an intimate encounter with God. David said the intimate friendship of the Lord is reserved for those who fear him and he makes known to them his covenant. David's response, my eyes are ever towards the Lord. This fluency speaks to a need for intimacy with God. This lack of intimacy is a fundamental problem for so many Christians in general and leaders in particular. It's like a travel agent selling, selling timeshares of a property she's never been or a vegan waiter pushing meatloaf he's never tasted. The picture looks good and the food smells great, but its experience is secondhand. Far too many believers are bored with their relationship with God. Like spiritual pornographers, they attend and lead religious gatherings to watch other people encounter God while they themselves are lifeless and dull, wearied by the duties associated with serving God. Spiritual leaders and disciples must have firsthand experiences with God in order to lead people to firsthand experiences with God. We intend to mobilize movements of people who will make the first commandment their first priority. We love God. And how does this manifest in the real world? We begin by seeking God. Our eternal position changes the moment we reorient our trust from our righteousness to Jesus's righteousness. We change, we are born from above, but we still have an ongoing need for that same type of reorientation at the practical level. 
This involves our activity, attention, and energy. The human soul is a fickle thing. Nothing short of directly abiding in Jesus and allowing his words to abide in us will do the trick. Mark 1.35 says, And rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, Jesus departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. If we want to reflect our king and represent our king, we must imitate our king. And before the sun had even risen, he would find a solitary place, a place to shut the door on distraction, to shut the door on temptation, to shut the door on all competitors for his attention, because behind the shut door, Father gets the monopoly. In fact, this is precisely how Jesus taught us how to seek his face. Go, shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. We challenge people to be extravagant in their devotion. We equip people to move from duty to delight. We expect every leader to spend the first fruit of their day in the secret place. We expect every pastor to commit two hours per day in the secret place. We call people to a place of encounter with God. This moves me. And it's heartbreaking to me because I don't think a lot of times a lack of time spent with God is because there is a lack of love. Although sometimes that's true. I think most of the time though, it's a misunderstanding of what it means to actually love God. And because of this, I think a lot of American Christians have not given themselves fully and completely to Jesus in the way that he's talking about in the great commandment because they have superimposed their idea of love onto the biblical text instead of allowing the biblical text to define what it actually means, the authorial intent to lead and direct us to do what Jesus actually said in Mark 12 when he says to love God. So if we're gonna love the Lord in the way that leads to transformation and then leads it to a place of not just duty, but delight when we spend time with him, we first need to know how God defines love. Right? So the Greek word for this is agapo. And you can put that slide up there and leave that for a while because this means to have a preference for, to take pleasure in, to prize it above other things, to be unwilling to abandon it or do without it, to welcome with desire, to long for. Now, we diminish the meaning of love when we just kind of self-serve this as saying it's an emotion or a feeling and therefore subject to change because this is how most of us define love, right? This is a fickle emotion that's working when we have the feels, okay? So, so culturally, I love someone if they're nice to me, but if they stop being nice to me, I don't love them anymore because love was simply a positive feeling based on a current circumstance. And the biblical definition of love could be no more greater a difference than what I just stated, because love is so much more than that. And Jesus gives us four key words that we're gonna just dive into pretty deeply this morning. And he tells us we're supposed to love with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And these can be explored, that kind of how-tos of how we love God. But I think the collective greater love of these things coming together is what's important because we're not supposed to just love God with part of our body, with just our heart or just our mind or just our soul. And we're not supposed to compartmentalize him or just relegate him on Sundays where we check in with Jesus and then we check out for the rest of the week. But we're supposed to measure every thought, every feeling, every emotion, every sentence we speak, every action that we take in light of our desire to please and honor and behold him. We're to pursue our love and his love with every aspect of our life, with all that we are. And this is rooted and grounded in the daily pursuit of seeking the face of God. So what does wholehearted love for Jesus look like? What kind of love catalyzes us to truly be fluent God seekers? It's where seeking God's face becomes our primary affection and the desire of our day. And this holistic love is a fierce love that happens with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. So let's break that down starting with the heart. Because when we love God with our heart, 
we will love God with our heart, I should say, when our desire and decision to love him is exclusively for him and above all else. And we love God with all of our heart when our desire and our decision is to love him exclusively and above all else. So, so what is the heart, biblically speaking, even? All right, it's one's, the, the Greek word's kardias, all right? It denotes one's character, inner will, um, uh, or inner self, will and, and your intention. It's our desires and our decisions that make us who we are. It's, it's the center of our being. It's the desire producer that makes us tick, right? So this is why when Jesus says in Matthew 5, 8, blessed are the pure in kardias, the pure in heart, he says, they will see God. Jesus knows that when people's desire, our character, our will is lined up with what God is doing, we're going to see him explode wherever we are and with whatever we're doing because we're looking for him. Our desire is to see him in the relationships we're in. Our desire is to see him in the circumstances that we're in. And so when we have that desire, he shows up. When we're pure in our cardias, in our heart, when our will, our intention, our desire is to see him, he does reveal himself to us. Right, this is one of those things that Mother Teresa was really famous for, actually. She, she would bring people to India and invite them to the, her homes for the dying. And she would invite them to, to, come, to come minister to a, a, a dying leper who is on his last breath. And he, she would say, do you know who he is? And the person would say, oh, well, I, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm sorry I, I don't. This is my first time in India. She goes, no, 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 look closer. Do you know who he is? which would, would, would kind of muddle people's brains. They're like, I don't, I don't understand what you're saying. She said, no, look closer and you'll see Jesus. And you think about like a Mother Teresa who could just fiercely love dirty and dying people because her heart made the decision to see Jesus in every person that she cared for. And loving God with our hearts means we make the decision and the choice to follow him, to look for him, and to line up our desires with his desire as well. You know, Brooke was saying we're about to go into a 10-day period of, of fasting and praying starting this coming Wednesday. But as we go into this 10-day fast, part of that means we have to make the cardias decision, the heart decision to sacrifice eating for a time and use that time that we would have spent eating to spend time with Jesus. And I'll be honest, this is confession time. If anybody hates fasting, it's me, all right? Like there are some people on our staff, they fasted 40 days, like literally, and they love it and they have these great experiences. That, that's not me, man. I am not, I, do, I have no weight to lose. Like my body rebels against everything moving towards this fast. I mean, I hate it, y'all. There's no joy inside of me when I'm like, oh my gosh, I feel like my body turns a corner around Christmas time and I'm just like eating as much as I can because my body's trying to store up for January. It's not my favorite. My body rebels, but I make a heart decision to subjugate my flesh and my body to allow my spirit to connect with God. My desire is Jesus, and I'm making the proclamation more than food, more than comfort, more than anything else. I'm just like, Jesus, I hate this, but I know if this brings me closer to you, I'm willing to make that decision. My cardia, my will, my intention, my decision is not to eat, but to spend extra time and sacrifice to draw closer to my Jesus. And so I want to stop and just even ask you personally, are you willing to make a cardia decision right now to forego food and take the time that you would have been eating and spend that time with God over the next 10 days, starting this coming Wednesday? 
And I want you to literally like either make a strong mental note or write that down right now. Like, what are you gonna do? Are you gonna sacrifice a meal a day? Maybe you've never fasted, you're like, bro, this is crazy. All right, don't eat one meal or don't eat two, or don't eat three, or don't eat for three days, or don't eat for 10 days, but whatever the case is. But man, we don't want this to just be like, a, oh man, Pastor Mike and Pastor Ruth and like some other people, they're gonna fast and we're all just gonna watch it happen. Like, can you imagine what would happen if our entire church said yes to Jesus in this moment? And said, you know what, Lord? We are gonna make the declaration that you are worthy of all of our praise. We'll even sacrifice for that. And God, listen, we're not earning God's favor. We're not earning his love. We're not earning his trust. It's by grace we've been saved through faith. This is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. This is what Ephesians says. But there's something about when we sacrifice and when we love Jesus with all of our heart, we make that decision to say yes to him, even if it means saying no to other things. So I'm asking you to join us in this, this coming Wednesday to the next Friday, okay? If you could put that, the, the cardia heart definition up one more time, because the key of a heart definition is that follow, uh, or the heart is key in making the decision and following through on our desire to God. But when we love God with all of our heart, we do have, we have a pure fidelity. It's like a childlike faith. Like my daughters find good in everything. Like when they hear someone who did something mean, my, I mean, they look dumbfounded like, daddy, why would they do that? And it's like a genuine question. I'm like, oh, baby, stay innocent. <laughs> stay pure and inoculated from all things bad. Like, but there's a purity of heart. And when we seek him with our heart, we have a pure fidelity. And we also experience God because we're looking for him. There are sometimes two people can look at the same scenario and one person will see Jesus and the other one will be frustrated. So when we're loving God with our heart, there's an experience that happens. But when we're only loving God with our heart, when it's not integrated with our soul, mind, or uh, strength, then sometimes you'll find Christians with a commitment to God, but it's functionally just like a loveless relationship. It's a decision and only a decision with no heart, like nothing behind it that's like a, a desire. I mean, so this is kind of like, uh, for me, like I, I'm married to my wife, Tracy, we've been married 16 years and, and we go on dates and, and we don't go on dates because it's a duty to go on dates. We go on dates because I want to spend time with the woman I love and I'm intentionally sacrificing other things and spending time with her and saying, you are important, you are worth my time, right? And I love it too, man. We, we've gotten into the pickleball craze. So we got to the pickleball. So our last couple of dates have been on the pickleball court. And I love it because my wife's really good at pickleball. So I'll just pick like two random guys. And be like, hey, you guys want to play us? And they're like, all right, well, okay. And then we beat them. And I'm like, yeah, that's right. That's my wife. Y'all, you just got beat. <laughs> like, and it's just, it's a great feeling. You know, it's just, <laughs> Lord, I repent of pride. Um, <laughs> But it's not about playing pickleball. It's not about going to dinner. It's not about the things that you do. It's the time spent with the person that you love. And that is our heart, our cardia, is when we make the intentional, volitional decision to say yes to Jesus, even if it means we say no to other things. But we don't want it to just be a loveless relationship with the decision, which is why it's important of, of incorporating the love of God with our soul as well as our heart. Because when we love God with our soul, we find our satisfaction in him more than any other person or any other thing. And we incorporate our affection into the heart decision. 
Right, so what's the soul, biblically speaking? One's, one's suke, okay, this is where we get the word psyche, are, is the soul, affection, and the will, right? This is the gift of life that God breathed into each uh, individual human, the eternal part of us, right? It's like the heart, the soul represents uh, the inner immaterial part of the human that is separate from the physical body. And this is when Mar Jesus says things like in Mark 8, 36, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their suke, forfeit their soul? Jesus says this because he knows that the soul is not edified with worldly things. Eternal things are not moved by temporary or material things. You can have all the wealth, you can have all the sex, you can have all the success that this world can give you, but it will not activate or nourish your soul. See, pursuing worldly things for the deep satisfaction that your soul is actually longing for is like trying to feed a person grass. It simply does not get processed by the body and gives you zero nutrients at all because your deepest, most intimate, eternal satisfaction can only be found in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, here's the deal. Like, we don't have to be like monastic monks that don't do anything, like we're blind to the rest of the world. Like, there are things in this world that, that I enjoy and it's not sinful, that's not bad. I can find satisfaction, but the only eternal deep level satisfaction is found in Christ. But yeah, there's other things I like, right? Like, like there's a, a group of us in my microchurch that love Premier League soccer, right? Um, so I'm a Liverpool fan and I know there's not many of us, but I know my one, my, my guy, the other Liverpool fan in all of Greenhouse. Um, you know, I love talking smack. I love keeping up with things. I like doing these types of stuff. But, but, you know, the problem becomes when we have a desire or a satisfaction that starts to take the throne of the God that is supposed to be on the eternal throne that we give our ultimate satisfaction to. Does this make sense? I love being a Gator fan. I love my kids. I love being married. I love working at the church. But if any of these satisfactions are usurping my satisfaction for Jesus Christ, I am going to be very unfulfilled and unsatisfied. So again, I wanna stop. I wanna focus in on this fast again. So next week, we're starting Wednesday. During this fast that's starting Wednesday, are you willing to set aside some temporary satisfactions to pursue the greater satisfaction that's found in seeking God? And again, these are decisions that we're gonna make. And, and it could be that you get off social media for the 10 days. You're just like, I'm not gonna go there. It might be that I have to take off my notifications for Liverpool. It might mean that I have to stop looking up Gator recruiting. Like those are things I'm just gonna personally go. Like again, that's not sinful, but I'm just gonna take that away so that my ultimate focus and satisfaction can be on Jesus for these next 10 days. So my question is, what are you going to put aside? might not be sinful, maybe it is, put that aside anyway. But if it's not, even if it's just satisfaction you find elsewhere, I'm asking you to maybe forgo that for a time so that we can all corporately focus our attention on Jesus. Maybe you gotta give something up on Wednesday, next Wednesday night and then Wednesday, a week from that, the Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, I think that's like the 18th, 19th, 20th, um, you know, we're gonna have corporate nights of worship and prayer. Like, would you give up what you're doing on that night and come worship with us? and come pray with us, and come be a part of the corporate gathering of God's people? Because when we love God with all of our, our suke, all of our soul, it becomes the primary catalyst for our God-seeking pursuit when it comes to maintaining that intimacy, that intimate connection with God. It also allows us to be filled with wonder and awe. I think sometimes we get so busy with worldly things, we get so busy with success, making that sale or doing this or that, whatever that is, that we just stop. We don't have faith like children. We don't just like get awed by God anymore because we don't give ourselves the time to actually stop and look and be awed and be in wonder with the majesty 
of the king of the universe who's willing to put down what he's doing to spend time with you. That is amazing. This is why David says, my soul, my suke longs for the courts of the Lord because he's tasted and seen that he's good. And his satisfaction is so deep when he's in the presence of God that it usurps everything else. But if we only love God with our soul and it's not integrated with our heart and with our mind, with our strength, our love for God will remain kind of shallow and never mature past the fickle love that we only love God when we're feeling, when we're literally feeling the satisfaction, when we're getting the feels from Jesus, rather than letting God be the bedrock of our faith, whether we feel it or not. A lot of times we'll have soul issues when I hear Christians, they're like, man, I've been seeking the Lord and I'm not feeling him lately. The predication of our pursuing God is not the feeling that we get. The foundational piece is I seek God because he's worthy to be sought. And this is where loving God can't just be in our soul. We also have to love him with all of our mind. Because when we love God with all of our mind, we make the choice to obey his every command, even when we're not feeling it. And this is the beautiful connection between the soul and the mind, right? What biblically constitutes our mind? One's dianosis refers to our mind. It's our thought reasoning, our intellect, our insight. It literally means movement from one side of an issue to the other to reach a meaningful, personal, balanced conclusion. It's the critical thinking component of who we are. Right, 1 Peter 1.13 says, therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. He said, he didn't say because this or that, he says, just do it. Set your mind to be alert and fully sober. First John 5, 20, we also know that the Son of God has come to give us understanding, diagnosis, so we might know him who is true. And we are in him who is true by being in his son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. See, our mind is our faculty for its understanding. It enables us to, to imagine and to think and to reason. It's also the place where we make the call where we reason and understand, we go through, like it says, we move from one side of the issue to the other. We look at what it means to follow Jesus from all the perspectives, from all the angles. We assess it, we think about it, and we then make the decision, Jesus is worth following. And I am going to do that with all of my mind because biblically love is not just a feeling, love is a choice of obedience. And when we make up our mind and pursue to willfully act and follow Jesus, we are doing that with our mind. Y'all remember that old hymn? Sing it with me if you remember. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back, no turning back. We make the decision to follow Jesus. Because Jesus says in John 14, 21, whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. See, obedience is tied to love. The one who loves me will be loved by my father and I too will love them and show myself to them. 
John 15, nine through 10. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. And again, this is not salvific, meaning if you keep his commands, that is what saves you, but you are saved, and because of the love that Jesus has shown you and the love that you pour back to him, obedience flows out of the grace and the salvation that you've gotten. Does that make sense? Right? It's not that this earns it. It's that this is the overflow of the expression of the wonder of God that he would come down for you and for me and give us eternal life. And so during this 10-day period of fasting, are you willing to walk in obedience and carve out time in your day to seek his face, to think through this from all sides and say, yes, I have made the decision in my mind to say, I will give Jesus extra time these next 10 days so that I can grow in my love and my walk with Christ. Because the root issue with the mind is it comes to uh, loving him in this way is, is he truly Lord? Meaning, does he actually call the shots? Is he the functional CEO of your day-to-day business and life? Or is he just your mascot that you put in front of the little parade that you call your life, but in reality, Jesus has no real meaning or value because you're gonna do whatever you want whether Jesus said anything about it or not. You need to measure this, make the decision with your mind and with your heart and with your soul that you are going to say yes to whatever Jesus has put before you. If someone looked at your life and the way you live it, would they say that you have thought out what you're doing and how you did it in the light of Jesus being the Lord of your life, the leader and the one you submit all of your lifetime energies and decisions to? We've gotta make that choice to love Jesus in this way. So if you could put that Dionysus slide up one more time, the definition. When we love God with all of our mind and obedience is something we take seriously and it becomes our way of life. You find that these types of people have a layered maturity about them, right? What I mean by that is that they go deep. They've been through the fire And it does not face them because they have seen and experienced God in such radical ways they could not deny him even if they tried because they had said, no, Jesus, I don't care what this life throws at me. I am following you. I'm setting my face like flint towards the truth and the realities of Jesus and nothing is going to face me. That's loving God with all of your mind. And this is also the way that we see uh, just experiential presence of God. A lot of the miraculous things, like we all, if you're in a, in a, in a greenhouse church, we, we believe in the spirit. We believe in the gifts of the spirit. We believe in miracles. We believe in the supernatural. We like to pray for that, but a lot of times we're not willing to take that step when Jesus says, hey, go pray for that random person and ask them about Susie. And you're like, I don't even know if they know a Susie. Yeah, God's asking, are you going to obey the supernatural word of knowledge I'm giving you? Are you gonna step out and do it? Obedience says, yes, I will do it, Lord. I will do it. If we wanna see the supernatural, we've gotta love the Lord with our mind so that it opens up obedience, which opens up the spirit, which opens up our opportunities to see him work in mighty and miraculous ways. There it is, sister. (laughs) The danger though of only loving God with our minds And with obedience is that when we only love God with our mind and not our heart and our soul, we get puffed up with knowledge and we just become mean Christians. Have you ever been around somebody, they know the Bible back and forth, but they're just mean. It's like, you need to love, I'm like, 
are you even reading the same Bible? Did you hear what you just said? Like, I mean, but it's so true. It happens to us is when we kind of grind it out and we're just like, nope, I'm just gonna make, like, we've got to make sure that we are in integrating all of these things. It's, it's why Jesus, I think this is why Jesus delayed. Because here's the deal. Any biblical scholars out there, you understand that heart, soul, and mind, like even in the Old Testament, heart and soul actually kind of, they equate those two things and they become the mind. Like there, there are all these different nuances. If it's a Venn diagram, all these things are kind of layered on top of each other and they overlap. So why did Jesus make this specific extrapolation with these four words. And I think it really is just because he wants to make sure that we are taking every aspect of who we are and we're giving it to him in a holistic picture of what love actually looks like. But when we love God with just our heart, soul, and mind, and when we finally combine our strength in there, we have some pretty radical love and staying power. We love God with all our strength when we persevere, right? This could be in trials. This could be in relationships. This could be against worldly condemnation. One's iskus, that's the, the word for power. It's the executive power and the force of the entire body. It's our, strength is our ability, the force and the power we exert in loving God. Now, I have some like anecdotal instances of, of when we exert force, right? So like we have a, anybody love like baby's cheeks? You know what I'm saying? Like I've got an 11 month old foster baby and her cheeks just like kind of, I mean, they are like, and you know, it just makes me, I don't know what it does, but I want to just like, I want to squeeze them. I want to like bite them. I want to eat them with a little fork. Like it's just, I, I have, I have this desire and I like, I, sometimes I'm like, she's got, I'm like, Ooh, girl, like I just want to, I want to squeeze her, right? Or, or, you know, like if, if, you're, if you're watching a, a football game and they throw the game-winning touchdown or it's like a three-point from Steph Curry land and like it's three, two, one, and they hit it. Like, what's our response? Like, we're like, <gasps> like, you know, like we like squeeze our arms real hard and we like chest bump and do all this kind of crazy stuff. Like we have all this like strength inside of that we were trying to like exert, right? I mean, again, anecdotal, this is not what the, the Bible meant when, you know, that's, a, that's not one of these parts. But there's just something inside. We want to we like put this force towards something, right? And when we love God with all of our strength, this is the beauty. We give him our force and he goes, that's nice. That's cute. Because it says in Ephesians 6, 11, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. He didn't say your mighty power. He said in his mighty power. So what we do is we're functionally laying down our strength and he's giving us his strength. And this is how we get through hard times. This is how we resist the devil. This is how we push back darkness. This is how we get bold when persecution comes and people, uh, and we just don't care what people think about us anymore. When Christ is the anchor of our soul, our ardent stance in Christ becomes more than just willpower. It becomes God's power moving through us by his spirit. There's a reason why he said, when you, or when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you will receive power. This is why we need to get filled with the Spirit. We need the power of God to be released and activated so that we can move in step with the Spirit. Now, during the fast, we're gonna need to tap into some of this strength and Holy Spirit staying power. I don't know about you, three days into a fast, I wanna give up on everything. The day, my life, I'm like... Jesus, Maranatha, I'm okay if you come right now. Like, I mean, I feel like I'm just gonna like shrivel away. I mean, this is, again, I'm a week faster, y'all. I don't think I'd do it if I didn't have accountability. So <laughs> here's my accountability to you guys. I'm gonna do the 10-day fast. Um, 
And this is one of the, this is one of the applications here too. I, I really do think that find somebody in your microchurch. Tell them what your heart commitment is. Tell them what your soul commitment is. Tell them what your mind commitment is. Tell them what your strength commitment is. Because I want to ask you, are you willing to commit to maintain the course of what you set out to do? Right? This plays back in your heart decision. But find somebody to hold you accountable to this, right? Find somebody who you can say verbally. There are a lot of times when I've wanted to do great things for God and I'm like, I'm gonna do this. And I don't tell anybody. And then like three days in, I'm like, I'm not gonna do this. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, have you ever been there? Just me, cool. Thanks guys. That's good, that's good. <laughs> now, but put the uh, Isku slide back up there if you would. When we love God with all our strength, we finish well. We persevere. Could be in a 10 day fast but it could be in one of life's trials, in hardship, when we wanna give up. And the problem when we only love God with our strength is that when we try to do this devoid of the other elements of love, it leads to graceless striving and just burnout. When we try to use our strength, we burn out. When we try to use our strength, it's, we, we lose sight of grace and we just strive and we just go harder and we grind more and by the end of it, we're just done. We've gotta have that switch where we say, Jesus, I'm gonna give you my strength and he gives us his in its stead, right? And when we engage with the Lord on all these four facets of our being, we can truly love God the way he intended. To love God in a way that was defined by the great commandment, to seek God for his own sake, to take pleasure in him, to prize him above other things, to be unwilling to abandon him or be without him, to welcome him with desire, to long for him. So for loving God in these four different ways, I wanna just ask you a question. Where do you feel like you are strong in loving God? What's that natural proclivity that you have? Like, which of these comes naturally? Some people are, are soul people. You, you love that intimacy with Jesus. Other you are, are heart people and you just make that decision and you say, yep, you know what, Jordan, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, my desire is to see you show up. Some of you might be mind people where you're just like, yep, I am obedient, steadfast, faithful. I'm just gonna go. Some of you might be strength people and you're like, Lord, I got a lot of strength and I'm gonna give it to you. Let's go for it. Right? Like, where's your strength? And conversely, where's your weakness? Which of these is hard for you, right? We are integrated beings, but sometimes, whether it's how we are raised, how we are wired, whatever the case, we connect with God easier than others, right? And so I want you to really think through this. And again, share this with somebody in your microchurch. Share this with somebody that is like a mentor or a friend and talk about this, dialogue through this. This is one of those things we love, like Enneagram. We love Myers-Briggs. Man, let's, let's do one that actually matters, <laughs> right? How do we love God? Like, what are the things that we need to do to continue to follow and seek God, God's face? All right, I wanna give you a little excerpt. This is another written part of what we just kind of like call our core documents. This is called our first virtue. So if you've been around or you wanna be a part of Greenhouse, this is what we're calling you to do and calling ourselves to do. We are movement of the first love. The first commandment is our first priority. Love the Lord your God. Your face, O oh Lord, we will seek. Our deep desire is not ministry, growth, or success, all we want is God. Whatever we do in ministry, may it be the result of this experiment. What happens when a group of people set apart their lives to seeking his faith? 
The outgrowth of this is the true church, a supernaturally led church that seeks the lost and cares for the least. This is our ultimate dream, to participate in ministry defined by its pursuit of Jesus so that it's very clear that he alone is glorious. This is our first, primary, the center. So we pray for harvest, innovation, leadership, supernatural provision, gifts of the spirit, creativity, powerful sermons, inspired Bible studies, unity, resources, divine appointments, excuse me, expanded vision, physical strength, open doors, management, excellence, protection, and incredible times of worship. But what we want most is God himself. To know him, to be found in him. What we want to do, we want to do what we do not out of an achiever's need to accomplish, not out of a competitor's need to win, not because it's what everybody else is doing, not because nobody's done it yet. We want to live the natural outgrowth of our relationship, intimacy, and friendship with Jesus. Thus, our main thing is not leadership or preaching. It is seeking him. This is our life. We are God seekers. The need of our day is not another successful church. The need is a work characterized by God, not by business principles, hard work, and natural talent. We seek Jesus. We are defined by him. Your face, O Lord, we will seek. We are not to take this granted with our people or our leaders. This is not merely one of many activities. This is the main thing. No minimum requirement mentality. At the center of our leadership is leveraging every bit of our influence to cause people to seek God. This is our call, to make people thirsty enough to drink living water and woo them by the Spirit to seek his face. For the unregenerate, we call this evangelism. But there's another form of evangelism needed for the believer. We get lost too. We lose our way. But this we know, because we've done the experiment a million times. Our calls get discovered in the pursuit of God. Vision becomes sharp in the secret place. Mission comes alive when our hearts are set on seeking him. Leadership is amazing when leaders bring direction that came from hours spent burning in God's presence. Words have authority when the tongue has been silenced in a time of listening. Hope is rekindled. Faith is stirred. Peace is obtained. Promises are embraced. Fears are stilled. Opposition is exposed. Draw us in, O Lord. We don't just need another good church or a missional movement or another group of natural Christians. What we bring to the table is a God obsession that translates into a God pursuit. And the outpouring of this radical pursuit of God is a radical community on radical mission. This is our desire. Our desire is Jesus and only Jesus. And that you will find him and be satisfied in him and make the decision to pursue him with everything that you have. Are we gonna get this right all the time? No. Have we blown it? Absolutely. Is that gonna stop us from keeping to pursue this dream of seeing a group of people who are seeking his face? It's not gonna stop us. Because listen, when you look at church history, the times where God explodes on the scene or where people are seeking his face, they're repenting, Christians repenting and moving towards a place of just radical obedience and reckless abandonment. These 10 days, we want this to be another foundational piece or another beat on the drum that 
Gainesville. Christians over the last couple decades have been beating the drum for revival. We want to see God move in a way that we cannot explain by just natural talents and abilities. We want to see Jesus show up in a mighty and powerful way that takes over the University of Florida and Santa Fe College and our school systems and everything that's going on in Gainesville. And let that be our Jerusalem and let it go pour out to our Judea and Samaria and Florida and to the ends of the earth. It's not because we're great. It's not because you're great. It's not because I'm great, because Jesus is worthy to be praised. And when we actually do what he says, he shows up. And here's another question though, a legit question. And if we're trying to cultivate a lifestyle of God's seeking, we're trying to get fluent in seeking the Lord, it's gonna take a deep love for God. But what if the love's just not there? Right? How, do you, how do you find a deep love for God where there's none currently? Or maybe it's started to wane, or maybe it's been cold for a while. But this is the beauty of our God. He never asks us to do anything he has not yet himself done. He asks us to make the cardias, the heart decision to choose him because First John 4, 19 says, we love because he first loved us. He made the decision to pursue us before he asked us to pursue him. Right, First John 3, 16, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ made the decision to lay down his life for us. He says, pick up your cross because he picked up his cross. He says, follow me daily because he followed the Father daily. Ephesians 2, 4 and 5 says, because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It's by grace you've been saved. This is the beauty. God asks us to be satisfied in him, but he has first been satisfied with us because he looks at us and he sees Christ and there's a satisfaction that he has. He doesn't ask us to be obedient just for the sake of obedience. Jesus was perfectly obedient to the Father and he's just asking us to follow in his footsteps. When it comes to strength, we can find strength to persevere because 2 Peter 1.3 says, his divine power, not yours, his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. It's already there and it's for the taking. So if you're struggling with your love from God, man, take this week, set time apart, consecrate these next 10 days starting Wednesday. You can start today. You don't have to wait till Wednesday. And meditate on his love for you. First John, the book of First John is a great place to start. Romans 8, Psalm 139. These are, these are good starting points for meditation on the good and great love of our Father. Because when you, what you meditate on, you magnify, and what you magnify, you become. And if you meditate on a loving God, and you begin to magnify him and his love, you will start to look like the loving God that you are pursuing. We become what we behold. So church, I'm just asking you, behold Jesus this week. Go after it on this 10 day fast. Pursue his face, give him a shot. Taste and see that the Lord is good. You will not be disappointed.